I love you. Welcome back, Couch Potatoes. Uh, yet again, you're tired of the movies. You want us to talk TV. And we're yeah. coming at you with TV. So much TV. I'm I, the Green Traveler. I, oh, yeah. You, you, you are the Green Traveler. And I am the Faceless Leon. Uh, this is a podcast about movies and TV. And uh, th- there might be some spoilers ahead, uh, but we'll, we'll try to let you know when they're coming. And uh, sometimes we talk about, um, you know, stuff that's going on in the world. Uh, but that is not our focus. Movies, TV. That's that's the, that's just shtick right there. So, yeah, what do we talk about? Well, you'll find out, uh, Couch Potatoes, when you watch or listen to us, that the TV talks is only, mostly only going to be shows that we actually like. That's true. <laughs> unlike yeah unlike with movies where you're you know it's a two-hour commitment and you can sit through it all and then complain about the bad ones with television i think it's unfair to complain about them if you don't give them you know the full yeah you know yeah. if you don't view the full package if you don't see everything right that they offer right. you know it's 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 unfair to complain about a show if you've only seen two episodes out of like three seasons right right we got you got to at least watch the whole season before you give it some kind of a review which uh we've done one season here of uh hannibal 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 based off of the red dragon by uh thomas harris who also famously wrote silence of the lambs yeah which is what made most of these characters famous i mean the books were pretty you know pretty popular but you know uh silence of the lambs with uh Sir Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. That's what that's what really right, drove right. these characters home for everybody. For sure. And it, it wasn't even the first Hannibal movie to come out, but it was the it was the one that uh cemented it into our pop culture, I'd say. Yeah, Red Dragon came before this, I think. Uh no, actually Red Dragon I think was the last Anthony Hopkins one that uh that they did. But they did a interpretation of Red Dragon called Manhunter. But uh, yeah, you'll find that you know because with television you have you know I think it's only fair to watch all of it before you talk about it. We're right. only going to talk right. about shows that we do like, um, like Hannibal. That was Hannibal is the last show that I watched on a regular basis. That might be true for me. That might be true for me as well. Uh, besides like uh things that have come out on streaming services uh but that's totally different than airing on tv not including the binge watch shows that you know like that's that's how they want you to watch i'm talking like you know they aired it one episode a week it was regularly scheduled television you know this was the last show that captured my interest like that because that's you know that's how i watch shows i can't I'm just not a binge watcher by myself. I have to have somebody there that forces me to binge watch. But I, but I love this show enough that I was able to somewhat binge watch it. Season one has 13 episodes and it only took me one month to watch it. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's intriguing enough that you do want to keep on going, I would say. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, if you are a regular binge watcher, you will definitely feel the pull, uh, especially uh, in the... I mean, there was only three seasons of this show, which I think is a shame, personally. Um, yeah, we'll talk about good. that. That's pretty sad stuff for me. That's kind of why, like, I fell out of television was because of how this show was treated. You know, so many, so many people didn't have faith in it. Yeah, it's very elevated, and I think uh, producers were like, uh, "I don't think we're going to be able to keep on selling this because um, nobody was watching it." Yeah, you know the people who yeah. were watching it loved it and was telling everybody to watch it, and the people who were watch who were not watching it were like, "We don't fucking care," you know. Right. It's just like right. we like dumb entertainment, and it's just like, no, this is good. Like this is super entertaining. There's so much thought behind this. You know, it's right. got a message. It's got stuff you can analyze. It makes you think about what it's like to just be yeah. a messed up human being. Like this, like you said, so much thought put behind it that is elevated to. Uh, a level that i would call uh fine art this this is 
This is about as uh, refined and sophisticated as television can get. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Because it's like, um, you know, in this fictionalized world, it's not putting forth people that you like. You watch them and you're like, I want to emulate these people. You know, they're all kind of messed up uh, yeah. individuals. Yeah. You can relate to them, but you're not like, I want to go out and emulate them. Whereas with shows like, you know, reality shows like Tiger King and all that, a lot of people are like, oh, it makes me feel better about my life, you know, because mine's not as messed up as these. <laughs> but then you work in the retail industry and you realize that people emulate these fuckers. Yeah. They go out there and they act like the people from the Tiger King and they act like people from reality shows because, you know, they see that and they find it entertaining because that's what it is. It's entertainment value. Yeah. And it's like true. It's true. It's true events and everything, but it just puts forth the wrong people to be emulated. If you're going to put forth reality show, do something on fucking like Mr. Rogers or, you know, somebody that inspires people. These people don't inspire. They're just shit human beings who live shit lives. Let's forget about them. Let him fade into the background. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, it. I feel like uh, I don't know how much of the Tiger King show you watched. Um, like two or three episodes, and right, I was like, right. I hate everybody in this that's involved. <laughs> um, so I think the reason, like, I think my argument against what you said is that that it's not really. Uh, a reality tv show it's more of a journalist documentary yeah. type thing i agree i'm saying i'm saying reality tv and tiger team i think i, I looked them together i think they're all drivel yeah okay that's you know that's a, a fair opinion uh uh but i can't stand how much it's taken over society because you know you and i have worked in re- retail industry right and everyone treats retail workers like shit, like nearly everyone. And I blame you know, that kind of television because they see these celebrities treating every, each other like shit and treating everybody else like shit. And it's like, yeah, we don't have to be nice to people. We can go in and yell at people until they give me what I want because I saw it on a reality TV show. Right. Yeah, they definitely um, there's definitely those kind of people in in the Tiger King show, um, uh, which okay so to be fair it is a docu-series on a reality tv show personality because they were going to make him into a reality tv show star also just realized that i was like you know we're not gonna shit on movies we haven't seen everything of it three episodes of tiger king here i am shitting all over it you know, it's the reason we won't be reviewing those kind of shows, though, is because I can't sit through them. Even with people, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go in the other room. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to do something better with my time because I don't like these characters. But that said, I do recommend watching a show about a bunch of serial killers and lots yeah. of blood. <laughs> yeah. Who you should not also emulate. Do not. <laughs> well, I'm, but again, I don't think this movie puts any of these characters forth as being um lovable to the point where you want to emulate them they're all they're all flawed to the point where you can relate to them and feel sorry for them but at the same time you don't want to be any of these characters i don't think no um i i mean i well i haven't actually finished the third season quite yet uh either but i really do like Lawrence fishborn's uh jack crawford Oh if, yeah. If there was anybody that I would want to be like in this show, it would be him. He has some redeemable qualities. Um yeah. there's there's one thing that I I don't like about his character. And we'll get into that when we start talking the show, I think. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, let's get the cast out of the way first because everybody in this show is stellar. So your first your first your main character is Will Graham, played by Hugh Dancy, um who is an English actor playing a New England uh character yeah, from virginia from virginia he's he's amazing you know he's got a great you know he i when i first watched this i thought he was american because you know english actors are yes. amazing at that yeah um i mean yeah sometimes you know you do have uh a very stereotypical uh english to american accent it's typically pretty passable i would say uh I, I don't know how they're able to make their uh their their accent so flat for us. 
but they also have like a higher register than their normal voice i feel like uh like for for example not not to shit on dan cook uh but when <laughs> when he when he does uh legion um he definitely has a touch of a higher ring uh than when he has you know his normal everyday english accent voice um but it, it really works for that particular character i i i'm not gonna you know so i'm not shitting on him uh he's also an extremely talented person but i had no idea hugh dancy was english um right i like i watched an interview and i was like wait a second you know it's like it's like when you watch uh charlie cox from um daredevil yeah i had no in fact in fact they i think they kind of look similar and i kind of got them confused uh at one point when we were watching this live on tv uh it was around the same time that daredevil was coming out wasn't it i think they i think they were close yeah Yeah. maybe like first season of daredevil was like last season of hannibal maybe um but you know will graham is uh he's on the spectrum um that you know like when i first watched the show i missed that entirely i didn't realize that he was uh Uh, he has autism a form of autism um i i do think that is also mentioned later in in the show that he was never formally diagnosed that is his self-diagnosis but i mean when i when i watched uh, the this season this time with that in mind it felt, you know, because there's so many, like, when I first watched this, there's so many nitpicks I had with his acting, with his character, because I was like, man, your character is so, you know, socially awkward at times. Right. That, like, I was just like, I don't understand what they're, but then when I rewatched it, I'm like, oh, he's autistic. Mm-hmm. It made everything make sense because there was, there was a, you know, he, there was like a pattern to a lot of his character, characterizations that I loved, you know, it's like when, when you watch it, realizing that he's autistic, you realize that Hugh Dancy put a lot of work into this character. Right. Because there's so many nuances that his character does that's just, you know, very tiny ticks. Right. I I knew a lot less about autism the first time we watched this, for certain. Um, So I definitely noticed the the same disconnect that you did. Um, But it, it was definitely a good choice on good choices on Hugh Dancy's part. He's very, very talented at, at what he does. Um, but beyond that, he is, uh, uh, he is not a formal agent of the FBI. Um, but he does work with the FBI under Jack Crawford. And uh, for the most part, he's like a teacher too. He's, Oh yeah. Yeah. He, yes, he, uh, is a professor at the FBI Academy um, but he was at one point on the field and then Jack Crawford comes and brings him back on the field because he has a very special way of, of looking at a crime scene. He is true empath. He Yes. That's, that is what Hannibal refers to him as, as a true empath. And, uh, I believe that kind of defines his character even more than, um, his autism yeah Uh, is that he is able to put himself into anyone's shoes including these heinous murderers yeah like he goes to a crime scene he takes in like all the clues around him and he just reconstructs what happened yep um, in his mind and like and how they do that like their way of presenting that visually i love like um it it, it like shows him just like you know kind of meditating at the crime scene like you know he's zoning out and then there's like a a grandfather clock pendulum that like swings back and forth uh and blackness and it just like it as it swings you know like bits of the scene just kind of like reverse in time and also throughout the show all three seasons the the metronome uh that that swinging back and forth the pendulum thing just keeps on popping up yeah and uh it's i mean there's a lot of shit like that that this shows we'll talk about the symbolism i'm sure but there is a lot of symbolism uh in this show and it's beautiful like all of it is beautiful but moving on from hugh dancy uh except for one last fun fact about hugh i haven't actually seen him in anything else but king arthur we were talking that Clive Owen King Arthur movie a while back, and I didn't realize he's in that. He's Galahad. Oh wow, cool. Yeah, 
I well, never never really realized it. I'll have to rewatch it and be like, I know him better now. <laughs> huh. The other main character, the one that's got a lot to live up to, who plays Hannibal Lecter, is Mads Mikkelsen. And this is my first run-in with Mads Mikkelsen. You know, right. this is the first time I saw him as an actor. And I was like, man, I love this guy. And then he was in Casino Royale. And I was like, man, he's a good Bond Bond villain. And then he was in Rogue yeah. One, and I was like, man, he's one of the few things I like about this movie. <laughs> he was he was good in that movie, though. He is. <clears throat> yeah, Mads. Uh, like when we started watching this show, uh, I think we both became instant fans of Mads. Like he, I could watch anything with him in it for sure. Oh, agree. Sure. Even porn. I mean, I would be very happy. Yeah, he's a very uh, handsome man. Uh, I shouldn't probably objectify uh, Mads Mikkelsen. I'm sorry, Mads. Um, I'm sorry, Mads, yeah. But that said, if you wanted to find a new market, you have two fans here. Yes. Yes, you do. Uh, anyways, Dr. Hannibal Lecter is uh, sophistication uh, in a nutshell. I mean, that. Yeah, he's, he's a classy man. He's a yeah. gentleman suits yeah, operas ballets uh uh all sorts of high class functions clean cut well dressed throws his own parties yeah own parties which he does the cooking for and the food the food oh my god the scenes with the, food, the best man. cuts of meat oh yeah he's got the best cuts of meat <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the most disturbing part about this entire show for me is if you know the story of Hannibal Lecter, spoilers if you don't, which there's not I feel like there's got to be it's, nobody out there who doesn't know. It's such an iconic character at this point. Everybody has to know he's a cannibal. Yes. yes. And Hannibal the cannibal and just the the most gruesome aspect of this show is the cooking scenes. They show you him preparing these like elaborate, lustrous meals using humans most of the time. Like we never really see him cutting up human bodies too much. It is it is. um, Yeah, it is definitely implied that they're human body parts that he is using. Uh, And and occasionally they do show like a limb or something in his freezer. Yeah, but but it's just like, you know, a lot of the times, you know, he does cook with veal. He will cook with, you know, you know he's cooking beef, he's cooking pig. Like, there are times when he's actually cooking a real meal without human flesh. But when he is cooking it with human flesh, they're very good about implying that. Yes. And they make yes. it look so tasty. And I'm a vegetarian. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, at the time when we were watching this, I think we were both vegetarian. And we were both like damn right it's like how that's the most gruesome part of that show is you know it's a disgusting um thing you know to watch him you know cook a human like that but it makes it look so good and it's like how dare this show make me hunger for this it's like mads could cook for me anytime um (laughs) uh but anyhow i suppose we should talk about uh dr Lecter's relationship with graham um but maybe Very, it would be uh, easier to do if we discuss Lauren Fishburne's character first, because uh, they he kind of draws them together. Yeah, because he brings he brings uh, Will Graham back into the field, and the toll that um, Will Graham's you know true empathy takes on him, you know, starts to you know weigh on his mind a lot. And so, as you said, uh, Jack Crawford, Lawrence Fishburne sends will to a psychiatrist who he just kind of like happen like they just kind of randomly meet like this this entire story is um i mean there's there's reasons why they meet but it it feels random almost it does feel a little bit random um i feel like uh jack and hannibal at the beginning of this show just know about each other on the professional level and by the end of the season they are good friends yeah well hannibal's such a charismatic person he like he makes friends with everyone uh he uh but jack crawford uh task 
is to take down serial killers uh, on the eastern uh, like mostly on the eastern yes. central area of the united right. states which i will say is one of my least favorite aspects of this show it, and it's a problem with many tv shows is how quickly they just hop across the united states right yeah there's so many times like there's four or five times in season one where it's like two characters just drive out to minnesota and they act like that's just a normal from virginia yeah yeah it's like we're here in minnesota now and it's like that's a 20 hour drive (laughs) and you made it seem like it happened in the course of a day which means you fuckers are tired yeah yeah and you've been sitting all day and they're just like walking around acting just like man you know you know somebody was killed right in this barn here and i'm just like you just drove 20 hours are you not tired at all? Like so many times in this show. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the FBI has, uh, you know, good, good money, uh, to give out for plane tickets. I <laughs> throughout most of like, every time they go somewhere, they make a point to show them in cars. Cause they have, they have a scene in a car somewhere almost all the time. It's, it's this problem that most shows have, you know, a lot of TV, especially law and order kind of shows like this, they just they just hop across the eastern coast like it's nothing it's like i know that it does take you know probably only two hours to get to certain states on the eastern right, coast right they're kind of crunched in together there but but they make it seem like you know space has no you know issue whatsoever to these <laughs> yeah. people they're all time travelers so that's that's always something that really bothers me but um yeah jack being the head of this division which includes uh other fun characters that we won't spend too much time on like um brian zeller who's played by aaron abrams <laughs> and jimmy price they're uh played by scott thompson they're kind of yeah they're kind of buddy cop kind of well buddy forensic people buddy forensics yeah um and uh they they there is definitely some fun conversation between them but their humor is pretty great but it's extremely morbid uh yeah and they are also paired the the other forensic member is beverly katz um, yeah and i love her i yeah, thought she was amazing uh, who's played by uh, hetty and park yes she is she is great uh, i wish that there was more of her in the yeah show. i agree like i like i like those two a lot too they seem like a fun i kind of just ship them honestly uh yeah that i think that would be really fun if they if that would have happened in this show if it had like uh if it had three more seasons maybe yeah which this show originally had six and seven season plan like had seven originally and he shortened it to six and then eventually they had to just cut it at three sadly sadly that's his little forensics team with will graham yeah. um and he sends him you know to meet mads to meet hannibal Lecter to get evaluated and once uh hannibal you know kind of he sinks his fish hooks in the wheel kind of you know they're like they're great friends like they 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 develop a very unprofessional relationship right and and hannibal's definitely the uh the impetus for that he does not want to be considered his psychiatrist well i think actually at first will's like i don't want a psychiatrist and hannibal's like how about a friend hannibal's like i i've already signed your your papers so our professional relationship doesn't have to take place, but I do think you're interesting. Yeah, he's like, let's be friends. And like, their friendship is, like, it is great. That's kind of the disturbing part of the show is um, they deal with a lot of serial killers throughout season 13 and a lot of really unique and cool serial killers that we'll talk about. Uh, but specifically with um, with Hannibal, he seems so normal you know he's he's such a charismatic person you know he seems like nothing's wrong um you know he deals with a lot of crazy things and he's able to just you know take a deep breath take it in be calm and like nobody suspects him right he is also the only he is the only character who is obviously european and so if if they if they do think anything's peculiar about him they just chalk it up to his European culturalization. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember where Hannibal himself is from, but Mads is Danish, so like they could. Right. I think. I think. I don't think it's spoiling anything to say. Uh, I think they say Lithuania in the in the the third season. I'm not sure, but there's one more very important character that we have not talked about. Uh, Doctor Alana Bloom. 
Caroline uh, Davernus. Um, she, uh, like, like we said earlier, everyone is excellently, uh, excellently played. Um, actually, there's one more character that we should mention too, but two. There's, there's a lot of characters. There's, a, there's a lot of good characters. I, there's, there's one easy one to lump with Alana though, and that's Freddie Lowndes, because both of these characters were male in the novel. And one of the beauties of this show is, you know, it realizes not every character has to be a white man. And so it switches those two roles, and I think it did so perfectly. Like, what they did with Freddie Lowndes is amazing, but specifically what they do with Alana Bloom, making her Will Graham's love interest, even, is, it, it's very weird and great. And it's, it's... She actually works for the FBI, and uh, Hannibal is just her colleague. She's She is also a psychiatrist, and uh, she passes... She does not want to evaluate Will Graham because, because of the personal yes. relationship. Yes, because she she likes him as a person and she thinks she would not be able to be impartial. Uh, so she passes him off to Hannibal Lecter and that's really how they their relationship starts. Uh, but you know, she thinks Hannibal's just a stand-up guy. You you kind of lumped her in with uh Freddie Lowndes. Um Freddie Lowndes is it's kind of interesting i think you did that because they kind of foil each other a little bit too she is a reporter and she has a very opposite opinion of will graham she thinks that he is a serial killer waiting to happen that plays into a lot of the drive of season one is you know she she calls in a lot of she calls into question a lot of uh, uh will graham's personality traits and uh you know it's just like well how can he make such you know leap from point a to point b and find this serial killer and you know will's like well it's bad bad bookkeeping that's all it was that you know led me to this one serial killer but as his um as his mental capacity kind of dwindles you know he starts to starts to kind of believe her you know he starts to question her with with himself you know he's like am i crazy am i a serial killer and you know uh Freddie Lowndes is a kind of a smut journalist. Um, right. She is not well respected in her community because she is willing to do unethical things to get her information. You know, one of the unethical things is, you know, sneaking on the crime scenes and um, taking photos of dead bodies and stuff before anything's been cleared by the police. She just kind of sneaks up through the things. And, you know, like something that we should mention is the reason why police hold back information is so that suspects that may still be at large don't catch on that they're you know getting close and so she she fucks that up yeah or even so that you can uh um manipulate you know a witness or somebody uh well i mean that's not a witness but like let's say you have you bring somebody in for questioning and they give you information that's not been shared with the public about the crime scene then you immediately know this person knows things about the crime scene that nobody else does um and she does that too where she'll go in and she'll give you know because of her photos and stuff people now have a clear you know understanding of what the crime scene was and now there's no no possibility of a killer making that slip up um but one of the cool things that happens with her and it's a bit of a spoiler so i won't go into it i'll just say she gets kidnapped by a serial killer somewhere around the show and that serial killer is abel gideon Played by the amazing Eddie Izzard. Yeah, he does a great job in this, I will say. That's one of the best castings. And, like, this this show is great with casting. But one of the fun, just supporting character, doesn't have to be brilliant. They cast comedian Eddie Izzard as this ruthless serial killer. And I love it. He, he, He puts out a great performance. Yeah, there i mean i yeah it's kind of hard to talk too much about gideon like his storyline without giving away um too much because he is a pretty integral part as a red herring um like uh, i think by the time that his storyline comes around you understand that it is a red herring so there's a lot of dramatic irony there but yeah he just does a fantastic job his scenes with Mads are great. Um, there's just there's just so many things. Uh, 
but his character brings in another character famous from uh that film that everybody knows uh uh dr chilton uh he yeah he is uh, eventually the psychiatrist who uh who has hannibal under his ward but at this point he has abel under his ward yeah and and him and hannibal at this point are also colleagues of a kind right almost on the same level as him and uh dr bloom but um but hannibal's more willing to talk uh bad medicine with chilton you know lana's a very up up front very strict by the rule psychiatrist but mads and or uh, hannibal and frederick trilton are willing to you know break some codes be a little unorthodox to get results because you know there's a lot about the human mind we don't know and they're of the opinion that we're never going to know that stuff if we keep playing nice with right right. you know people like this which you know i disagree with that viewpoint i think you know the insane asylums of the past have gone away mostly for a reason right yes oh definitely they were horrendous and you know i don't think we should ever return to that kind of thing i do agree that there's a lot of gray area with mental health issues but right, I think there's right. better ways to go about that than you right, know experimenting right. on guinea pigs like this. I do think there's still a place for people who are ill and extremely violent. Like obviously you have to um, protect the rest of society, but you you can be humane. You can still treat them as humans. You just have to be more careful with them. Uh, uh, talking about Chilton, I think we should say it was played by uh, Raul Espar- Esparza. I believe I'm, I think that's correct. But uh, anyways, he uh, he did a fantastic job. So, he did so well of emulating the guy who played him in, in the movies. Well, that character, the thing is too, with that character is like, he's meant to be hated. He's that, he's that bad kind of doctor that it's like, he's not in the business to help. He's in the business just to, you know, make money and to make a name. Uh, He's very, he's very pompous, self adoring. He, yeah, he does a great job and I, I love his performance. I think I like him more than the guy from the movie but he just emulated that performance so well. Like nobody else even attempted to do that in the show, which, you know, you want your actors to make their own choices, but I think he, I think his choice to emulate that other performance was uh, just great. It fits with the characters that they all put forth too. You know, it's like they all have a different, you know, feel a different adaptation to these characters than the movie did, right. except for him. And I feel like that character fits so well in this world still. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially in contrast to Hannibal. Um, because they do try to do a lot to make them feel similar in a way. Yeah, they definitely bond over, you know, bad treatment. Um, because, like, one of the things that I thought was fun with this show is, you know, as it's developed by Brian Fuller, um, you know, Brian Fuller did, you know, he was on Heroes for a little bit. He was an, a writer on Heroes. Uh, he was the showrunner for Pushing Daisies and American oh, Gods. Yeah, I liked him. I, I even liked American Gods. I haven't seen season two of American Gods, but, you know, that was his show after this. Um, and he definitely has that style of, you know, as you said, it's, it's very uh, artful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one of the fun things about this show is... As Brian Fuller put it, if you didn't know anything about Hannibal Lecter going into this, you would you would be just as surprised as all the other characters when he comes out of the woodwork because they could have they could have treated a lot of this entire show as a mystery, but they didn't go that route because, you know, everybody knows Hannibal. You know, you know who he right, is. Exactly. But if you didn't, it's almost like doing a Batman show and not saying that Batman's Bruce Wayne. <gasps> Did I spoil it? <laughs> But but like uh, but when he starts treating Will Graham very badly, uh, treating psychologically that is as a psychiatrist, you know, it, Will starts to present symptoms of a, a specific disease uh, or a condition, I should say, not as not a disease. Um, and Hannibal just covers it up. 
You know, yeah. he kind of just sweeps yeah. it under the rug because he wants to investigate it further. He wants to see, right. you know, right. he's like, I'm his friend. I won't let him go too far. You know, I'll know when to cut the cord on this. And if you didn't know Hannibal was a cannibal, you could literally just watch this as him being just a bad psychiatrist, you know, because of the scenes, because of the scenes with him and Frederick, because they talk about how far are they willing to go with patients just to, you know, further explore the mind. Yeah, it, it, it could take a Dr. Frankenstein approach rather than a, a serial killer approach. You're, you're, you're right. Mr. Frankenstein. He failed his tests. Oh, did he? <laughs> I do think, um, just to finish out the cast of characters, there's two very small other characters that we'll just blip over real fast. There's Abigail Hobbs, played by Casey Rule. Um, who is the daughter of the first serial killer that Will catches when he comes back. You know, episode one, he catches a serial killer named Garrett Jacob Hobbs. And, you know, because of how he catches that killer, he develops a relationship with the killer's daughter, Abigail, and kind of starts to see himself as a foster father, um, which weighs on him mentally again, you know, with his true empath. And and definitely... uh... Uh, Garrett Jacob Hobbs haunts him throughout because he he might have stepped a little bit too far into his shoes is kind of what goes on. Yeah, because he's like he's just stepping back into the water and he just like immediately goes right into this guy. And so it just, you know, it it just, you know, fishing is a big metaphor in the whole show. And again, with, you know, with the fish hooks, it sinks into Will's brain. You know, it's it just it's this character just will not leave. It's it, he just starts to starts to emulate this character almost sometimes. Right. And that's his big right. worry when he starts to go insane is did I actually catch a killer or, or am I the killer? Um, the other character to talk about the big name, you know, probably the biggest name on the entire show. <laughs> and she had, she has the smallest part is uh, Bedelia Dumarier, who is Hannibal's psychiatrist, played by Gillian Anderson of X-Files. When she made an appearance, I fell in love with her immediately again because I love Gillian Anderson. She is an amazing actor. She does a great job um, in this series. Um, she um, just she kind of becomes more increasingly more important throughout the show. But for this, she is she is honestly the most human aspect of Hannibal yeah she's his psychiatrist that's kind of what you know he tells I don't know if he tells her everything you're not really clear in season one but you get the implication she knows what Hannibal is up to you you get these ideas that she has looked into his mind enough that she has seen the monster and yet maybe she's okay with you know and who knows with season one it's like it's not a spoiler to say that at the end of season one you really don't know where she lies with this character no um but she's amazing. She's so good in this role. Yeah. I kind of wish that we had... I, I, I don't want this to be too much longer, um, but I do want to talk about the symbolism a little bit. So uh, one of the big things is that Garrett Jacob Hobbs, before they know who he is, you know, everybody get, everybody gets a serial killer name in the papers. And his name was the Minnesota Shrike. Yeah. Great um, name. A great name. Um, but he's also... A hunter so eventually uh will starts to see what he's in his imagination zone uh and then later when he gets sick uh he sees a deer always but a stag a stag thank you but the stag always has feathers always because and i should say that a shrike for people who don't know is a is a carrion eating bird but they what they do is they take their prey and they throw them onto like antlers or branches and that's what garrett jacob hobbs was famous one of the things that helps will graham catch the minnesota strike garrett jacob hobbs was another serial killer who was hannibal um who is uh they call him the chesapeake ripper chesapeake ripper they don't know that the Chesapeake Ripper was the the copycat that helped Will find Garrett Jacob right, Hobbs. Right. But Hannibal sees that, you know, Will is having trouble finding this man, and so he basically just hand delivers him a perfect crime scene. Right. Where he just right. you know, he copies the he copies the kill perfectly, 
but there's so many nuances to how he kills this person that Will immediately figures out who, like the person the he's looking person. for. Yeah, he, he knows it's not the same person and he understands the kind of person he is looking for now. He gets it. And that's that's where that symbolism of, you know, in his imagination when he sees this stag with the feathers, you know, he's not seeing the shrike. He's seeing that weird blend that, you know, he's seeing that this copycat and the shrike because it's something he's searching for. You know, he's, he knows there's a copycat out there and he's got to find it. But it's not at the it's not at the front of his mind. It's always playing at him. You know, it's always toying with him. Yeah. And and I think it's sometimes the stag represents mads but at sometimes it represents himself uh they do a lot of blending the two characters together and it's great yeah especially near the end of the season slight spoilers ahead for those who don't want to you know don't want the spoilers um near the end of the season the stag in his mind when he starts to go crazy takes the form of a man with antlers um you know just a, a man just completely like a black latex like it's not black latex suit but it's like it's you know, it's just like a skeleton probably some makeup and cgi involved but it's, it, but it's just like a skeleton looking uh like a wendigo um i think would be the a better term for it almost and uh you know he he sees that but one of the most beautiful things is when he starts to kind of play with the idea that it is hannibal when that idea enters Will Graham's head, in his hallucination, he sees the stag and Hannibal become one. And it's a yeah. great moment because, you know, at the same time, that's when he's questioning himself the most, too. Right. So, like, as you said, it represents Mads and it represents Will. And at that moment, it's like all three of them became one thing. And it was so it was such a good moment. I love this show so much so because of that symbolism. There is definitely a lot of moments in this show where there is no dialogue going on there's just score and imagery and there's so much storytelling being done in that moment like there's definitely times where shows or movies i would say more typically movies have moments where there is no dialogue just just imagery but i feel like I this is the uh, place where I've seen it done the best because there are instances when that happens where it's just a tripping moment and sometimes the imagery does not uh, play into the story enough for it to really work. But they man the cinematographer and the the editors and everything they they did a great job of making the imagery really match the story and uh it's very intriguing and showcasing that imagery beautifully too um it's uh, one of the bigger or two of the bigger influences uh for this show uh, for brian fuller that was that is is uh david lynch and stanley kubrick and you can you get that with how he uses the imagery um like as you said like you know david lynch films filled with you know symbols motifs like themes everything um, but with Stanley Kubrick, 2001 Space Odyssey, an amazing fucking movie. Yeah. And it's because, uh, it can grasp you and entertain you without dialogue. Yeah. You know, the first, first 20 minutes of that movie is just, you know, uh, well, apes, <laughs> it's, it's apes just, you know, fighting each other and screeching and, you know, throwing bones and, you know, it's, it's, it's entertaining still. Um, and he uses, you know, classical music when they go into space and there's like just long shots of, you know, uh, spaceships and classical music playing. But the reason people love it is because of how it can show this imagery right. and entertain you without dialogue, because every movie nowadays feels like it needs to, you know, grab your hand and tug you along. You know, it's like you know, right. the audience isn't going to understand. So I got to show them how what it means. No, we're smart people. We can watch this stuff and figure it out. We don't need... You know, we, we don't need an hour's worth of exposition scenes dumped on me to figure out a mystery or anything. We can figure it out right. through how you show it to us. And that's one of the kind beauties of, of this show. Kind of going off that, I I am a firm believer that you don't have to make your art to please everyone. Like, you can, you can make uh, a movie that only certain people are going to get everything about it like obviously when you make a movie you're trying to make some money and you want people to go see it 
Um, but if there's a couple of scenes in your movie that only like only a, a third of your audience is going to understand, that's okay. I mean, it, it it just shows that you're not willing to compromise your vision. Yeah, but that's the tragedy of the show. It has an, yeah. a stellar cast, stellar directing. Brian Fuller does a great job at you know running the whole thing. They even had uh, to prepare. Um, you know the, those scenes where you watch uh, Hannibal Lecter make these human flesh. They had uh, Jose Andres of the World Central Kitchen as a kind of like a consulting producer for those scenes. You know to make it look entertaining, to make it look delicious. You know because he's you know uh, if you don't know World Central Kitchen um, helps with natural disasters. You know if there's a natural disaster, World Central Kitchen goes there and it feeds people. And, you know, it's like, you know, when there's a natural disaster, that's the last thing you're thinking about is getting your meals. But, you know, Jose Andres was part, you know, helped with this show. And it's like this show made this beautiful, uh, fine art masterpiece, but it didn't entertain people. You know, it's it's the artist's vision almost wholly presented to you. I don't know if like studio affected much of it. They definitely affected season three, but we haven't gotten there. But it you know, it's it's wholly entertaining. It's beautiful. Serial killing is obviously terrible. Right. It does sell though. But you know, you know exactly it sells. People love this kind of crime. They love crime on television. Yeah. And I think yeah. this is one of the best crime shows. I would definitely agree with that. Almost fully what the artist wanted you to see is delivered here and it flopped. You know, it didn't entertain people. It doesn't have that those quirky, stupid things that I hate in television right. that everybody else right. loves. If this had come out a couple years later for a streaming service, I think it could have done better. Uh, because, like you said, when people are watching television, the the ratings is all that matters to producers. And that's a shame. I mean that's that's why there's only uh, one season of uh, Freaks and Geeks. Or um, yeah, it's sad, but it's you know that's the that's the thing with this show is they had you know seven seasons planned. The first three were going to be original, then they were going to do the Red Dragon, and then Silence of the Lambs, and then like another original show to end it. You know they they had this big plan. But because people weren't watching, they had to kind of crunch everything into that last season, which, you know, we'll get there in a, in a year or so. But that that's just the sad thing is they had a vision for this show and it just kind of got crushed. But I guess there is hope for another season because, you know, Mads Mikkelsen's apparently said that he's willing to return. And Brian Fuller has said, yeah, Brian Fuller's got a plan, I guess. So it's, you know, there's there's hope for it. Maybe they'll they'll be able to put it out on like Netflix or a streaming service. I think they'd be able to get uh, Fishborn back. I don't know what uh, Dancy's doing. Uh, Lawrence Fishborn, to, from his com- career record, really does seem willing to return to projects. Well, he's in everything. He is in everything. <laughs> yeah, he's he's that actor that you know he just pops up and it's like, yeah, of course Lawrence Fishborn's in this. You know, he's like, yeah, 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 John Wick. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Matrix. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> The, there's show on a uh, show on television blackish one actor that i have always wanted to meet and uh congratulate on his body of work because like you said he's in freaking everything and he never does a bad job yeah i, I agree with that he's in everything and even though he always seems like the same character and everything at the same time he seems like a different character yeah yeah he does a very good job of playing uh moderate degrees of himself <laughs> I remembered, uh, I mentioned at the beginning, one thing I didn't like about his character is there is a split halfway through season one where, uh, you know, for the buildup of halfway through season one, you know, Will's like, I don't know, I think I'm going crazy each time. And Jack's like, no, do more, do more. And then there's just a random episode where they just flip completely where Will's like, Will realizes he's going crazy, but he's like, no, I want to keep helping. I want to do more. And Jack's like, I think you need to back off. And I'm like, what the fuck happened? It it literally was like back-to-back episode where it's just like... I thought that they actually did this flip pretty well, personally. Uh, There was was definitely an incident that happened where uh, Jack was like, oh, I should have been listening to him. Yeah. I should take him off of this 
and that but he still lets him go because will's like no i can do it and he that that was the point where i did get mad at jack because he he should have he should have taken his own instinct at that point and taken him off yeah especially at that point but and, and it comes after a flashback where jack is reminded of an old fbi agent right. that he is responsible for the death of so it's right, like right. you know that that's going through jack's mind i get that you know, I, I, I get the flip. I do understand it because they do build it up. It just yeah. felt weird from the end of one episode to the beginning of the next that it was just so immediate. Oh, but the last thing we should talk about before we sign off, I know we're running long on this one already, are the serial killers. Yeah, this show puts forth quite a few, uh, especially in season one, just quite a few different serial killers. There's right. one guy who presents his kills as a totem pole. That's my favorite right. one. That that one's really unique. Um, you know, there's been a show strike, I, the Ripper. I really like the uh, mushroom guy idea. I didn't. I didn't really like when they finally revealed who it was. I I wasn't. It kind of fell flat a little bit. But uh, but the idea was amazing to use living human bodies as fertilizer for mushrooms. Yeah, it's gross and like it, it makes you just feel so bad for the, the killed people. Somebody in the writing room had a great idea there. Or researched something god awful that actually happened. Yeah, that's true. I guess I don't know. Yeah. 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 Um another cool one was the lady who she has a, a mental condition where she can't see faces. Right. And yeah. so she, she kills people because she's thinking they're wearing masks or whatever, you know, she's trying to remove the mask from their in their head right. and it's it's so gruesome and but like at the same time you feel so bad for her because you know she's presented as yeah. you know she's not a killer she's not she doesn't want to kill yeah she also thinks she's dead i think is part of her story too yeah yeah because she's so dead to the world even like yeah she does think she's dead but also it's like the fact that she just she doesn't connect with anybody and she's right. so she's so affected by this illness that it, it just it really it's really upsetting, but there's so many different and unique serial killers that, like you know, most often, um, it's just a really cool idea. You know, it's like that's kind of always the right. fun with fictional serial killers is their their mo their 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 way of doing things. I think the fact that there are so many serial killers in this is kind of what makes it feel. Uh, I feel like it was. Uh, their attempt to draw in like the CSI audience um, because it, it definitely at the beginning of this show there is a monster of the week feel to it um, while the uh, you know serial storyline is going on in the background um, and I think later on they kind of drop that and I think that's good for the show um, yeah because uh, even though there are a lot of deaths and killers in America believing that there's this many serial killers really makes it hard for me to live comfortably right yeah right <laughs> yeah jeez. we'll come back with season two sometime um i'm the faceless leon and i'm the green traveler <laughs> <laughs> safe travels everyone green and faceless on the couch is a proud production of fiction works 19 we plan to publish new episodes of this podcast every thursday evening if you'd like to give us a comment, please visit us at facebook.com slash greenandfaceless. There you'll find many links to our show and to our website. Thanks for listening.